On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, we talk about a pizza place that shouldn't be taking phone calls. And I reveal what fast food joint has got the world's best coleslaw. Plus, we're joined by producers Talia Kleinhandler and Osnod Handelsman Karen. Uh, they are the producers of the new film, The Lost Daughter, which is an Oscar contender this year adapted for the screen and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify, and please leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason. That's Sue Kalinske. Sue, excited for today's show. Great to see you. How you feel? You look great. Oh, well, thank you, Steve. I actually had a six-mile run walk this morning. A run walk? Yes. Nice. Congratulations. Yes, I have. Yes. Uh, I, I got up at uh, about 20 minutes ago. I got up <laughs> at 20 minutes ago. So I'm just, yeah. just, just uh, rousing here. We're the polar opposites. Yes, we are. You were, uh, you, uh, you got a lot done today and I'm just rolling out of bed and going to start talking. So I have to tell you what happened last night. Okay. okay. Yep. Um, there's a pizza place that opened up a couple of years ago that Tom and I just love. And, you know, we're very snobby New Yorkers. So they make margarita pizza that okay. is just so good. It tastes it tastes like pizza that I've actually had in Italy. Wow. So it's needless to say, it's a very, very popular place. Um, they're super busy all the time. You know, you call up and, um, and, and in the past when we've called up, we were able to order. So last night, Tom calls and they said, Oh, um, we're not taking orders over the phone. Um, you have to pick it up. You have to do the order and then be here. And Tom said, what's the difference? And they said, well, you know, we just give people who come here first dibs. And it's like, seriously? So, and he, and so wait a minute. So call an order, not okay, but show up, order, and wait is the way you have to operate. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the times you're waiting like an hour. So he he basically said to me after he got off the phone, like, what's the point of even answering the phone? You know, <laughs> that's a good point. Why and answer? Then, I know. And then I said, well, the way they should answer the phone from now on is like, hi, how can I not help you? <laughs> that's completely true. What a very strange policy that is. Yeah. So we were like the hell with you guys. I mean, there's another pizza place in the neighborhood hey. that, that, that we love. It's just that their pizza is um, it's just a different style, and I was really jonesing for it. Yeah. And then they're like these stuck-up owners. Like, I want to actually talk to the owner yeah. and say to him, this is really, really bad. May policy. I speak to the owner, please? 
Oh, that's who me, she was going to be. There. Well, I imagine that's, you've that's, spoken. That's who I am. <laughs> I always spoke, want to talk to the, the manager, the owner. <laughs> a lot of times yes. I want to go right to the owner. I don't right. even, I want to bypass supervisors and managers. <laughs> you're the person that calls uh, and you're online for uh, for a phone call, customer service. And the moment they answer the phone, you say, supervisor, please. <laughs> Please oh, give me your supervisor. Yeah. If it's a franchise, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to the guy that owns the franchise. Right. I want to talk to the person who actually owns the company. So do you ever get fast food pizza? No. Really? No. You said that with a great deal of stuck upness. Never. Never. I, I, like I said, I'm very snobby when it comes to pizza. Yeah. Do you ever have Fresh Brothers? Oh, I've never even Fresh heard of Brothers. It. You know, I always say Fresh Brothers is um, what I eat when I have no self-respect left. That's what <laughs> if I go, if I play the Fresh Brothers card, oh, forget it. I, I'm just going to pig myself out. It just sounds like a place that's rife for, for jokes. You know, <laughs> when somebody proclaims that it's fresh pizza. You know what? All pizza should, all food should be fresh. Or maybe if if that's, if that's your selling point, (laughs) maybe even that old school sense, they're fresh brothers. Those brothers are really fresh. When you walk in, they curse at you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what the fuck do you want? (laughs) I told you, we don't fucking have that topping. (laughs) So, so, uh, so you did get your, you did get pizza last night, just not your first choice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We had ribs. Order ribs from Baby Blues over on, uh, on Lincoln. Uh, the best. Is it fresh ribs? They're fresh ribs. Yes, they are. (laughs) And the best coleslaw. I'm a big coleslaw. I, I'm all about good. And they have the best. Them and Kentucky fried chicken. I'll tell you something in Long Beach, which has become very foodie. Yeah, you know, in the past years can't get really good coleslaw here. Really? No. Go to Kentucky Fried. Kentucky Fried's got the best coleslaw. Really? Oh, it's an absolute proven fact. Okay. I, there are times that I will stop at a Kentucky Fried Chicken and just order a coleslaw. Their coleslaw is that good. Okay. Well, they have been. Um, they have a new line of vegan chicken now at. Uh, <sighs> At, at Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? So Come a friend on. of mine uh, posted, oh, it's delicious. You have to have it. You, you know, you wouldn't even believe it tastes exactly like chicken. And then something came out saying that they cook the chicken in the same fryer that they cook oh. the regular chicken. So you're not getting vegan chicken. Yes. All the grizzle and all of that is, Th- is that's real. That's all, all fried right in. So let's, it, it just, it's so ridiculous to me because if you're going to go that far and, and, and advertise something different yep. and there's obviously a market for it, yep. why aren't you doing it the right way? Yeah, no, it's true. They're, they're going to piss some people off because vegan people are like, it's, it's religion. Like I don't want anything passing my lips that has ever, uh, ever, uh, eaten or breathed or whatever that is or ever looked at an animal yeah ever looked at it we actually had a question this week this is an interesting question hypothetical so if all of a sudden animals could talk Mm -hmm. would you still eat them wow that's a really good question um it would be it would be a lot it would it would be a lot more difficult because i can i because because then they can express the fact that they're being eaten. 
or they Correct. can plea, or they can make a plea. Like they, they could actually go online and say, don't eat me. I'm, I'm alive. You I'm know, alive. I'm t- listen to me. I, like I have, a, I have a life. You know? I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think, I think uh, if, if obvious, I, I mean, by the way, I put this with my listeners online uh, for a poll and over 50% say, eh, hell, I'd still eat them. I'd still eat the talking cow. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> still eat the talking cow. Well, I know somebody, you know, when that octopus, the octopus is my teacher. When oh, yeah. Apparently, I haven't out. seen it because I love octopus and I don't want it to screw up my and, taste for octopus. And and I love octopus, too. And I have a friend after seeing it. Yep. Will not eat octopus. No, they're apparently really smart. They're apparently. Well, and, and this guy had this like, like humanistic relationship with this octopus. Did you watch for, it? Yes, I did. And, and can you still eat octopus? I don't think I've had octopus since. But. but would you? Next time you order octopus, will you think, uh, I don't know, that that <laughs> octopus seems pretty sentient. He was really having a communication in a real way with that guy. Can I really eat one of these octopus legs? Yeah, that would be uh, that would be tough. I, I, I think I'd have to um, be presented with it. Like, I think if I went back to Greece, it would be really hard because that's what I ate. Oh, that is the day. best in Greece. Every day. Yeah, every day, every day. That and I, I love me a good uh, uh, pan of uh, of quick fried uh, squids and uh, an official Greek, a real Greek salad, which has which has no lettuce in it. It's just tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, onion, feta, olive oil, and vinegar. That's it. No <laughs> lettuce, really, in a Greek salad. Wow. Well, there's a great segue here. I don't oh, know. okay. What is the great segue? Speaking of Greece, the, the producers that we're introducing and that we're going to talk to today produced a movie that actually took place in Greece. A very good transition. Yes. This is my first, this is my first segue. It is. Ri- show with you. It, you, you nailed it. <laughs> you absolutely killed this. <laughs> So uh, one of the most fascinating movies of 2021 is The Lost Daughter. It is based on the novel by Elena Ferrante, and it was adapted for the screen and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's her directorial debut. The film is produced by Talia Kleinhandler and Asnat Handelsman Karen, and they join us now. Uh, Talia Asnat, thank you so much for doing this. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So you had worked with Maggie Gyllenhaal prior to uh, this film uh, on a movie called The Kindergarten Teacher. Uh, Teacher. How did how did this project come come up for for you guys? This particular film, The Lost Daughter. Well, um, it, it was a funny story because Maggie, we 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 produced The Kindergarten Teacher, which was kind of an adaptation of an Israeli film that we produced. Um, that uh, was directed by Sarah Colangelo and um, Maggie was starring in the film and we came to New York to meet her and we um, had a lovely lunch together and kind of during the course of that lunch somehow it came up in the conversation like would she ever think of directing Um, and she said yeah you know it has been on my mind um, and, and we were saying, what would you direct? And she said, well, if I was going to direct anything, it would probably be something by Elena Ferrante, um, which, who I've been reading recently and we had never read Ferrante. And so somehow after that lunch, she took us to this 
very small, quaint bookstore in the village, and she bought us um, Days of Abandonment um, by Elena Ferrante. And um, that's kind of how the conversation started from there. Um, and kind of during the whole production of The Kindergarten Teacher, we were kind of talking about it. Um, and eventually, by the time we were doing press on The Kindergarten Teacher, we had already optioned um, the book, The Lost Daughter. So um, that was kind of the, the way it happened. What did you see in her that made you pose the question, did you ever, have you ever thought of directing? I think she's, um, first of all, I think it's, it's funny because, you know, we came to meeting her with her whole body of work. So it's not like, and we've worked with a lot of what you would call first time filmmakers, but she in a sense really isn't because she's been making movies for so long and she's been making all these incredibly bold, smart choices in her roles and, you know, in the character that she played. So I think it was just something about the way, because we produced the kindergarten teacher together. So even in that conversation, the way she approached the project, the way she thought about things, and it continued throughout, you see there's a filmmaker there. You know, it, you see the way she thinks, the, the, like her vision, her view. And so it was very, very obvious that this should be something that she has a voice, that she has something to say, which I think is what makes an interesting filmmaker. Um, and I think after The Lost Daughter, it's very clear that she has her own kind of signature. You know, I believe that in all her movies that she's going to direct, you're going to see it's a Maggie Gyllenhaal film. And that's a very unique thing. So I was going to ask what made Olivia Coleman the right person for this role. And then I'm thinking, no, she's <laughs> right for every role. Uh, what, what drew her to, to this project? Um, well, I guess that's probably a question for her, but, um, you know, I think there's something about this character, um, that was very different from anything she had done before. Um, I think for us and for Maggie and us, like what Olivia brings to this character is something very real, you know, and relatable and sane, which was very, very important for, for all of us in, the, in portraying this character, that she be very clearly sane and relatable and kind of have some humor, which Olivia has, you know, which is like, un, you know, not obvious for this role, but I think it's a very important part of the character. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Olivia Coleman is right for any role you can get her for. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> she's, she was a, a real gift for us. Now, once you get Olivia Coleman, does that become a, I would imagine it becomes a much easier project to, to actually finance because you've associated Olivia Coleman with it. Is that right? Um, I well, think, go ahead. I would say that once you get Olivia Coleman, it just, and you have Maggie Gyllenhaal directing, it basically means that every other actor you want for any role is going to be, yes, where do I sign? I'm coming on board because I think for us, the way we structured this film is that we we wanted to cast the two Leda, younger Leda, uh, first. So we have kind of the bones of the of the project. So whoever we're going to for financing understands what kind of movie we want to make. And I think it's never really easy financing a woman, you know, a, a film about women. Or I, I find that you know. Um, I wouldn't say easy, but I think when you have a, 
super strong script, like what Maggie wrote and, you know, Maggie's vision and Olivia. And then we, and we, when we went to financing, we already had Olivia, Jesse, Peter, and we're already in conversations with Dakota. So that package, you know, is just something that attracted the attention we wanted and, and brought us incredible partners to work with. Yeah, but I think also Endeavor, who who ultimately fi- financed the project to re- together with um, Charlie Dorfman, were very brave. You know, took a took a brave move. You know, because it is a complex drama. Um, it is a character that you know when you go when somehow when you make a film about women or complicated women, there's always the question of likability. You know, and and this is a character that does you know difficult, challenging things. And I think you know, I think it's it's not you know, I, I don't like that word likability because I think you know who of us is likable all the time. But I think that um, you know, I think that that they took a, they saw the potential and they saw what we were trying to do. And like we did, they had full faith in Maggie and her abilities to to make this an exceptional film. So the book. Um, the action takes place in a seaside village in, in Naples and the family uh, was Italian. And then the film, it takes place in Greece and the family is of Greek descent from Queens, New York, which yeah. I loved. Um, <laughs> why was it changed? Well, it was actually changed twice because originally the story was supposed to take place in um, in East, Co- kind of a nondescript East Coast town, a vacation town. Um, you know, when Maggie, when we went to adapt originally, Maggie felt that she had to write what she knows and she couldn't write, you know, an Italian family going on vacation in Italy. Um, so it was adapted for the East coast U S, um, someplace that could have been Maine or, you know, we were supposed to shoot originally on the Jersey shore actually. Um, and then kind of through COVID and the fact that, you know, we, we were, we started shooting in 2020 in, in October, 2020. So the height of the pandemic, and we couldn't miss that summer because it's a summer movie and we, you know, it's on the beach. So we had to shoot that summer. And when the pandemic hit, it was clear we couldn't shoot in the U S because we're a very international movie and, you know, it would have been impossible to get everyone visas and get everyone there in time during COVID. And also the situation was really bad in the U S. No one was shooting in the U S. No one was shooting in the U S when we production. Yeah. And so kind of through the conversation of trying to solve that problem, um, we kind of in, in just a very casual conversation where we were trying to think of different places where we could shoot the movie. Maggie said, well, what about Greece? At, because I could shoot and I could tell the story of an American or English woman coming to Greece on vacation because she would be foreign just like I would be foreign in that in that situation. Um, and then kind of we right away contacted like friends of ours who are pr- Greek producers and said, OK, how, what's the situation? Can we shoot? And it turned out there was like a 40 percent tax credit and it was opening up for the summer and just kind of everything slid into place. And now it's hard to imagine the movie taking place anywhere else. So it was kind of a real blessing for us in the end, but it was totally not what we set out to do at the beginning. So the movie is all about what it's like to be a mother and lay And I, I, I don't have, uh, I don't have kids, so I don't necessarily get this in, entirely, but it, she plays a mother who is, I guess it's fair to say a, a, a bad mother. It's, uh, and it's a li- against type for Olivia Coleman. What, what do you think, what leads Leda to 
leave her kids, I guess. I just want to say there's no such thing as a, she's not a bad mother. I think the whole point of this movie, and I think even if you're not a parent, you have a mother. So I think we all relate to this movie and these characters in some ways. Some people leave the theater thing, calling their mom, asking questions. And some people think about their experiences, parents, not just mothers. But I think what we were trying to do with this film is exactly that. This is not a movie about a bad mother because all we had until now are movies about good mothers that do everything for their kids, you know, selflessly or bad mothers that do horrible things. And she's neither. She's a woman that is, you know, trying to find her path, trying to find her place, trying to have a career, have something of her own while raising kids when they're young, which is, you know, could be very taxing and tiring and, you know, there's a toll and everything and doing a lot of it kind of alone and makes a choice that affects her kids and affects her to the point where years later, after she's already kind of made peace with the kids and everything is, is okay between them, she can't let go of that thing because it's still something that she carries on. So I think, you know, I think what we all and and part of what resonates in this movie and part of what made all of these incredible, really, articles and people that have been speaking out about it is that we can all recognize parts and pieces of it. And we might not go to the extent of the acts that she does, but we understand where she's coming from. We understand the complexity. And I think this is all. I think we really just want to show women we've I don't think I've ever seen many women on film that are just complex women who are mothers who don't always get it right and I think that's part of the point right so the Ed Harris character was was he in the book as well or was he yes he was in the book because I always wonder when you're adapting a book to a film um is there a, a stipulation where you can take all the liberties? I mean, the, the author completely signs over and says, I've sold the rights to my book. T- here it is. Make the film that you want to make. Is there is there ever a point where it's like, but you can't do this? Well, I think it really depends. I think in this particular case, I mean, Elena Fronte, first of all, she's anonymous. Elena Fronte is not her real name. She's Nobody knows who she is. Um, and, um, she normally in other adaptations of her book, it has only allowed her books to be adapted in Italian. And she's always been very involved in the writing. And in this case, you know, Maggie said from the beginning in the letter, we wrote to her asking for the rights that she had to make it her own. She had to set it in the U S she had to do it in English. Cause obviously she can't make a movie in Italian. And, um, And she agreed to give us the rights and she gave Maggie full freedom, full creative freedom um, in adapting the book. And she even published an article in The Guardian where she said um, if it were a man, she would have um, insisted on control. But because it's a woman, she feels like Maggie has to put her own experiences as a woman and as a mother into this movie to make it good. And that when women make, when women create, it's important that it be good. It was important for her that it be good. And so she gave us complete freedom and gave Maggie complete freedom in the adaptation. So she, but yeah, so she could do whatever she, she thought. 
been believed. I was kind of curious, you know, um, I don't want to give things away, but, you know, maybe we should have a disclaimer at the beginning <laughs> of the podcast that there may be some spoilers here. But when she took the doll, when, when Leda took the doll and then she had it on the terrace of the apartment and Ed Harris, who's the, what is he, the landlord or caretaker the of, of the caretaker, property, yeah. care of the property, um, she doesn't hide it. No. And what was that about where, I mean, was there a part of her that wanted to be found out? Was What was going on there? I think that's part of the interesting questions that are never really answered in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think, first of all, I think we were so incredibly blessed with this cast, but having Ed, you know, as part of this film and, and he really brings something to Lyle's role that is, that elevates even what is on the page in, in the book. But I think so much of this film is in the, in the spaces of the things that are not said. And a lot of this scene is really about that. And I think that's part of what is kind of interesting and, and scary, especially at that point in the film. You don't know what he's going to do. You don't know if she did it on purpose. Does she want to get caught? Like, and, and that's the tension. Mm-hmm. That kind of leads you to the to the next path. So I don't know. I guess it's whatever you think. <laughs> okay. So so I'm curious from both of you, what was the the one movie that you saw for each of you that made you say, Oh yeah, I want to be I, I want to produce movies? <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. What was it about that movie? I don't know. I just always loved it as a kid. And it, I think it's like something magical, you know, that you can, you can say so much and go into this, you know, crazy place. Obviously I've seen others since then, but I think that's kind of still one of my favorites. That's interesting. Yeah. It's probably the one movie that I could watch as a kid. I watched it every year up yeah. until I was. I, 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 I know it by heart. <laughs> and then, Ostan, how about you? I don't think I have one movie. I think I've been in love with movies since I was a child and there's so many. It's like, I can't even think of one, but I think there's always one. I think there's always a movie like every year or every certain couple of years, there's a movie that kind of stays with me a little bit longer. Um, so yeah. I don't think I this have. is by the way, the lost daughter is a movie that stays with you a little bit longer, partly because of the, what we talked about a little while ago uh, with the, the doll, the scene with the doll, but there is so much that is unanswered and open to interpretation and, and challenging. And, and it's really about I, ideas and emotions, both explained and unexplained, I think. Yeah, I'm happy it stays with you because I think, I think there's, I think there's so much fun in going to watch a movie, just having a great time in the theater and leaving and maybe, you know, thinking about it, like smiling. But I think there's something about movies that maybe challenge you a little bit, that stay with you, that make you think that you wake up the next morning, you're like, oh, and you know, sometimes you're like happy and sometimes it's a sigh of like, oh, something is on me. And, and I love that. I feel like that is, if, if we made that happen with a film, that's incredible to me. Yeah, I don't know about, I don't know about you guys, but I was going to say, I, 
there's always my initial reaction to a movie. And then I, I describe it as it's, it's how it's settled with me, like how well, it's settled. Like I have an opinion when I walk out and then a couple of weeks later, I have a certain feeling that I took away from that movie and some movies that initially, initially I'm so, uh, so into wind up not settling with me the way other movies do. And this is one that definitely did settle with me. And I've turned over in my mind a lot, uh, since, since I saw it. I love Thank that you. expression. I, can I, can I borrow it? It's all yours. It's all yours. Yeah. <laughs> on loan, like, like the Smithsonian on loan. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wanted to know how the two of you became partners and what makes good producers? Wow. <laughs> well, the first one is an easy answer. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically, um, I, I had started my production, the pie film, the, our production company, um, maybe 16, well, we're very old now, a lot, a lot of years ago, very like young. 16, 17 years ago. Um, and, um, and kind of a mutual friend of my, of, of ours kept telling us, you have to meet each other. Like she kept telling me, you have to meet Osnad. She kept telling Osnad, you have to meet me. And there were like 20 different occasions where we were supposed to meet and we didn't meet, um, you know, with all kinds of very strange, like things, like almost like a romantic comedy. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and then we, we ended up finally meeting and having, having lunch and Osnad had just left it company she was working on in distribution in, in Israel um, and was kind of not sure what, what was next. And, um, and we just really hit it off over this lunch that we had. And I sent her a couple of scripts I was working on just to say, you know, take a look. Maybe there's a way that we work together on one or two things. And, um, and it just kind of happened really naturally. <laughs> that we just, we, we have, we've been together ever since. And I was like, yeah, uh, I want to say twelve years ago now, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she just sent me. You know, I, I was working in uh, acquisitions and distribution for many years, so you read a lot of scripts. Like I've read so, and and still to this day, I I really think a lot of a lot of good movies. It's really about the script. You know, if you have a great script, the path is almost there. And she, we met Taya, and we had a really fantastic lunch and had fun and. And then um, she sent me this, and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And she sent me these scripts and they were so good. Hmm. <laughs> like after reading and distribution, reading, 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 feeling, ah, oh, this is never really it. And then like four scripts that were brilliant. I just called her and said, listen, I would do whatever you want to be part of these movies. So, and this is how we started. Yeah. Yeah. So you premiered The Lost Daughter at the Venice Film Festival, and you got, uh, from everything I read, a four-minute standing ovation at the end of that screening. Before you showed the movie there, did you have a sense for how good a movie it was? In other words, before you start screening, do you think to yourself, oh, yeah, I think we've really got something here? 
Um, yeah, I mean, yes. I think we do have a feeling. I think we felt that we had done something very special and very important and I think, and a beautiful film. And we were very proud of it and we were very excited to show it to the world because, you know, we had screened it to kind of like what you would call friends and family, but we hadn't had a really big screening before Venice because also it was pandemic. So even the, the things you usually do, like inviting like 20 people to a small screening room and showing the movie, we didn't have that. We had sent links to some people, you know, just to get notes on the cut, but, you know, we hadn't ever had that experience. And Kind of watching it in Venice, it was the first time Olivia saw the movie and first time Dakota saw the movie. And so sitting next to all those people in this huge theater full of, you know, just a regular audience. And it, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And it was just so emotional, like for all of us, because we had, you know, it was just the first time we felt, you know, some, when you screen a movie for the first time, you kind of feel the vibration of the audience and you look around and you at people and you see, are they in it? Are they feeling it? Is everything you wanted to give, um, you know, everything you put down, is it, is it being picked up? And it was. And so that was just the most amazing experience. And I think that's the most beautiful experience when you make a film is when it's not yours anymore, you know, when it goes out in the world and it's no longer yours and, and people get it, people get what you were trying to say. So especially when, when amazing traveling with this film and, you know, it's the same reactions in Italy and in, you know, and, and in New York and in London and in Paris. So you feel like there is something, you know, that works, something that, that kind of connects to people. And, mm -hmm. and every time, you know, it's, it's a rush every time where you sit and watch it with an audience and they laugh or they don't breathe or, you know, they react. It's incredible. Yeah, well, I, I relate related to the um, motherhood through through basically through my sister. She's the only one in our family of five that has kids and she has two daughters. And when they were little, they clung on her like these kids clung on their parents. And I used to call them barnacles <laughs> and they had no idea what it meant, but they hated being called barnacles. <laughs> and they were like, we're not barnacles. Stop calling us barnacles. And I said, when you're a little bit older, you understand <laughs> and you have your own children, you're going to understand what, why I'm calling you this. So, I mean, it was, it, it was, there were parts of it that were uncomfortable for me, you know, just being, you know, cause, cause to me being an aunt is the best of both worlds. Cause my, my nieces yeah. look like me, but I could leave, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what my mother said, says about being a grandmother. <laughs> yes, yes. But it was relatable. It was relatable vicariously. So uh, now your movie's winning all kinds of awards. You won the Ga Gotham Award for Best Picture, Olivia Coleman at the SAG Awards and at the BAFTAs and all this sort of, you know, I've talked to so many people over the years who've been involved in sort of that awards ride you know, through, through all each ceremony and all the nominations, what's it like to be on that ride? It's a lot of well, fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like that. I think it's just really important to, to remember to enjoy it and not take anything, you know, too seriously because, you know, you've done your best work and now it's up to other people and it's not in your hands. I think for me, the most rewarding part of making this movie has been 
the responses of, you know, people who have seen it and particularly, you know, people who it's touched and, you know, all these endless articles written by people who feel seen for the first time and who feel like their story is on screen for the first time. And so for, for me, I feel like that's the reward already. And that's why we make movies. And I would love to get all the awards. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but, you know, but that's kind of the, that, that's the fun part. And it's important to just enjoy the ride and remember that we just tried to do really, really great work and, and it's been received. And that's the most important thing. Well, also, listen. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Osna. No, I just wanted to say we, you know, we made this movie in a pandemic in a Greek island, like a very close knit family. And then we didn't see each other, like our actors and, and, and some of our crew for a long time. So kind of what these festivals and award campaigns are allowing us is to just see each other and be together again. And that is so wonderful. And so much fun. So we, I think in a way are looking at all of this as just um, <laughs> things to enjoy and people to meet and whatever happens, we're happy. Yeah. Well, listen, it is, uh, it has settled really well with me to use the, uh, the term. I really, really love this movie. Um, the Lost Daughter is on Netflix and available now. Uh, and we're rooting for you as you go through Thank this crazy you. award cycle. Congratulations on, on making really one of the, the more thought-provoking and emotional movies of the year. Thank you. Thank, so you. Thank you so much. The Lost Daughter which is on Netflix right now. The interesting thing about it for me, Sue, is that I love Olivia Coleman and she's such this, you know, enthusiastic and funny and ebullient, if that's a word, kind of, kind of person as, and her performances are. And to see her in this role where I, I stepped on it there when I said a bad mother, um, I, with, uh, with our uh, producers here, but, but she is unlikable. I don't find her to be a likable character. And that's a weird feeling. I know, but that to me is what I love about actors that take roles where they step out of what you're used to seeing them as. Because there's been a lot of criticism from friends of mine that were like, oh God, difficult to watch, you know, uncomfortable. Ooh, I don't like seeing Olivia Coleman like that. And that to me is just the brilliance of Olivia Coleman yes. or any actor, you know, you know, we talked about Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, people were very uncomfortable seeing him in power of the dog. Yeah. And I love seeing him in it because I'm not used to seeing him like that. And yeah. He very did it cast so against seamlessly. And it's, it's interesting when that, when that happens. I mean, it speaks, uh, it speaks, uh, it's a testament to, the actors that we have that emotional reaction when we see them doing something we don't normally see them doing. Right. So, and right. by the way, and Maggie Gyllenhaal, I, I can't wait to see what she does now. Uh, she's, we've talked to a number of, uh, of women who made films this year, who I am thinking of uh, Justine Bateman, who we had on earlier in the year um, and distinctive voices. And finally women are able to uh, tell stories um, and be able to get behind the camera and get into those sort of uh, power. I mean, here you've got a, a two women producing and a woman adapting and, and writing 
for the screen with a really powerhouse cast, including Olivia Coleman. You know, there's there's a sign that things are changing, that stories like this uh, are able to be told now and that women can be in these in these power roles on a picture and still make them happen. Oh, yeah. And, you know, for me growing up in New York and that the characters were from Queens. Yeah. Yeah. What was so much fun about it was that the essence and, you know, like the producers were saying, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal, she wanted to write what she knows. And, and I, don't, I don't even know where she's from, but the Queens aspect, that entitlement of like being in a foreign country, there was a, a scene where where they have kind of a confrontation with Olivia Colman yes. because they're being very noisy. And Olivia Colman is just trying to enjoy this solitude of being on this beach, which she was by herself until they basically came and invaded what was her space. Yes. And, uh, and they had such an attitude because she didn't want to move, you know? And, um, and it, it just, it reminded me of a time I was once in a public bathroom in New York. Okay. And there were two women having a conversation. One of them was in the stall and one of them was standing out where I was. And I'm just waiting to use the bathroom. Sure. And they were talking very intimately about something, but loud and and I'm right there. (laughs) So how could I not hear what they're saying? And the one who was standing next to me looks, she looks at me, she kind of gives me like a, a bit of a dirty look. And then she says to her friend who's in the stall, look at this one over here like eavesdropping and listening in on what we're talking about. <laughs> and and it's I'm like, like, how could you miss it? I'm like, it's like you, you, it, it's like you're doing a play in the bathroom. <laughs> and speaking to the last row in the house. <laughs> and that was, and that was the feeling I got from this family. You yeah. Know? Yeah. They were like, this is our beach. Who are you? You know, <laughs> move. What, what do you mean? You're not going to move. That was very funny to me. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, uh, recommend everybody check out The Lost Daughter. I do think it's got a chance to be one of the 10 uh, nominees for Best Picture. And I think Olivia Coleman is for sure going to be nominated. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is going to get a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. Well-deserved. Um, it will be well-represented uh, at this year's Academy Awards. So, yeah. hey, if you listen to the show, make sure you subscribe. Uh, that means a lot to us if you subscribe to the podcast. And uh, when you do, listen to a couple of shows and then rate and review the show. We also appreciate that. Sue, uh, great seeing you. You too. Great conversation. We will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. Podcast.